And, and that's going to penetrate and, and be involved in everything that we do. So, like, you've already heard us read from Scripture twice. We're going to read from it yet again. The, the words, the songs that we sing are just full of scriptural truths. And that's why we pick them. Not because they're fancy, make us feel good, they're popular. Like, we don't care. Like, is it true? Is it from God's word? Like, that's what's going to give us life. So, we take the Bible seriously. That's what we mean by reform. University. God has put us in a place. And in this place, he's called us to love and serve. And so you're going to spend four years of your life here at, at JMU, Blue Ridge, EMU, Bridgewater, wherever you happen to go to school. And God's got you there for a reason. And he's called you there to love your neighbor and make a difference. To be salt, flavor that campus, to be light, give light to that campus. And not only the campus, but the city. Like, God's put us in Harrisonburg. A lot of needs in this city. And, and so, in your time here, we want to encourage you and stir you up to love and serve your campus and your city. So, university, like, we're at a place. And then the last word, fellowship. We weren't made to do life alone. Y'all know this, right? When, when you isolate, it's not good. You know your home. Like, when you isolate, it's not pretty. I, I know my home. And, and we were meant to do this thing together. And so we hope and we pray this will be a community that you can be a part of, that you can connect to, that you can plug into, that, that will be for your good and for the good of others. So that's what we mean by fellowship. Well, at the very beginning of that, I told you we take the Bible really seriously. And so we're going to spend the next 25, 30 minutes talking about God's word and we do this because God in his word shows us himself and I can't think of anything better or more exciting than that that we would know about God that he would love us enough to tell us about himself about how we can know him about what he made us for about our purpose about our design so that's why we love coming and, and looking at the scriptures. But because God's the one who's given this to us, because God has spoken it, it it's kind of normal that we wouldn't understand everything or that we would struggle against some of these things. And so if that's you, know that that's normal and that's okay to ask questions. And I would invite you to come find me, one of our staff. Staff, would you kind of put your hands up? So this is the greatest staff on the planet, and we happen to have them here at Jamie. Yeah, that's great. If you're on our ministry team, I don't. We only have like a third of us here <laughs> because COVID. Um, if you're on ministry team, put your hand up. Okay, these people have said we want to love and serve the, the students who who come out to our youth. And so, find one of us that you just saw with hand up. We would love to, to talk with you about maybe some of the questions you have about the Bible. Nobody in this room has it. 
So yeah, maybe you'll even help us with more of Jesus as we talk. I like to follow up. Can, can you say follow a blog? Like, is that is that yes. a thing yes. to say? Yeah. Okay. All right. um, read a blog. I don't know what, what you're supposed to say. Uh, follow Instagram. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I like to follow a blog. Uh, a guy named Tim Challies. He Challies. Challies. I'm not sure. Challies. Yeah. Challies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pastor. Pastor in in Canada. On November fourth, twenty twenty, he wrote he wrote this. In all the years I've been writing, I've never had to type words more difficult or devastating than these. Yesterday, the Lord called my son to himself. My dear son, my sweet son, my kind son, my godly son, my only son. Nick was his name. He was a, a college student at the time. Nick was playing a game with his sister and fiance and many other students when he suddenly collapsed, never regaining consciousness. Students, paramedics, and doctors battled valiantly but could not save him. It's really sad. He's with the Lord. He loved. He's with the Lord he loved. The Lord he longed to serve. We have no answers to the what or the why questions. Yesterday, Aileen and I cried and cried until we could cry no more, until there were no tears left to cry. Then later in the evening, we looked at each other in the eye and said, we can do this. We don't want to do this, but we can do this. This sorrow, this grief, this devastation, because we know we don't have to do it, in our own strength. We can do it like Christians, like a son and a daughter of the Father who knows what it is to lose a son. I'm a dad. I can't imagine writing those words 24 hours after the death of my son. can't imagine the depth of faith it took to write those last few sentences. But this is what I plead with God for you and me. A, a depth of faith that holds in the hardest of times. A faith so firmly anchored to Jesus that it survives the worst suffering will come. We live in a broken world, and so the question isn't if, but how will you respond when? Will you be anchored when the storms of suffering come? For the next six or seven weeks, we're going to do a series called God in the Storm, and we're going to talk about suffering. Why suffering? Where is God in the middle of it? How can we trust God and walk faithfully, like, like you just heard in that last paragraph of Chalice? How can we walk faithfully through loss, grief, betrayal, depression, anxiety, and persecution? We're going to talk about all of those topics.
are we doing this? Because we, our staff, want you to have a deep and a robust theology of suffering. What we mean by that is seeing God in the storm and then just walking faithfully with him not having all the answers, not being able to answer all the why questions like, like Charlie said, but just seeing who God is and more of him and then walking faithfully with him. As you might imagine, the Bible is going to be our guide in this series. So go ahead and turn there to Romans 8. If you have a Bible, and if you don't, it's going to be on the screen behind us. Romans 8, 18 through 25. And this will be our first text that we'll walk through in this series. As you heard Naomi say just a few minutes ago, this is God's word without error and for our good. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself, God's Spirit, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's a lot here. Romans 8, my money, my money best chapter in the Bible. Um, a lot here, we're not going to be able to cover it all, but I do want to answer, I want to try to answer two questions from this text. Why suffering? In other words, why does it exist? And then secondly, where is God in that suffering? Or, in other words, what is the purpose? Like, what does God do in and through suffering? So let me take the why question. Why does it exist? Why do we have suffering? Romans 8 actually answers that. It's one of the biggest questions asked of Christianity. Why suffering? You see it there in verse 20, verses 20 and 21, where Paul tells us that creation was subjected to futility and is in bondage to corruption. 
with those words, the Apostle Paul is pointing us all the way back to the fall of man when sin first entered the world. Here's where it comes from. The first two chapters of Genesis tell us that God spoke all of creation into being. He created man and woman in his own image. They lived in perfect harmony with God, with each other, and it was all good. All of it, all of creation was good. But just one chapter later, Genesis 3, all of it changed. The man and the woman rebelled against God by going against his commands. And the consequences of that act came immediately, where God came to them and he warned them because of that act of rebellion, there would be pain and childbearing. There would be conflict between them. Creation itself would be cursed. Here's some of the words from Genesis 3. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Translation, creation will be cursed. Death, decay, and corruption will be the new And probably worst of all, their relationship with God After they sinned, the man and the woman hid from God. They covered themselves in shame, and God sent them away from the garden. Because of sin, all of creation was brought under the curse, and all humankind has been estranged from God and from each other. So why is there suffering? In a word, sin. Sin brought all that is wrong in the world. Sin is why we have anxiety and depression, COVID and cancer, death and destruction, hatred and injustice, broken relationships, broken hearts, and broken lives. Sin is why we groan. Did you, did you see that word there in, in the text, verses 22 and 23? Sin is why we groan along with all of creation. We groan because we know this is not the way things are supposed to be. I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. You're not what you were supposed to be. Creation is not what it was supposed to be. We're broken. Everything is broken because of sin. So why do we have suffering? Sin. God is greater than sin. And God is greater than suffering. He's sovereign over both, which simply means he's in control of those things. And because he is, he uses suffering for our good and for his glory. And I want to spend the rest of our time looking at what God does in our suffering. So think of these things that we're about to talk about as anchors holding your faith, holding our faith in the storms of life. So I'm going to talk about a few things that God does in our suffering. And I really want these to be anchors for us as we face trials and suffering. So what God does, number one. What God does, number one. He redeems it. He redeems it. 
maybe another way to say that, he uses it. So look back at verse 28. It's a, it's a fairly well-known verse. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's an incredible promise. God will take the suffering. God will take all the sadness. He'll take all the brokenness. And he'll use it for our good. We may not see it. We may not understand it. It may not look like it's for our good. But God is doing that behind the scenes in ways we'll never know. God can do that, and he promises to do that. Peter, in 1 Peter, talks about it this way. He uses the analogy of gold and fire. Gold is refined, made better, made pure through the heat of fire. So our faith is refined, made better, made pure through the heat of suffering. And we need to hear this. We need to hear that God redeems this, that God uses it, that God makes us better. Because it's so easy to despair when suffering comes, isn't it? Especially when it's prolonged suffering, when there's no end in sight. Because we start to believe the lies of the devil who tells us that it's all meaningless, that there's no purpose and no hope, and that's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There is hope and there is purpose because God's over it all. These are some of my favorite words on suffering. I don't remember the text, but, but John Piper was the one who, who preached these words. He says this about suffering. Not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. By the way, we have this. Who's got the clipper? There we go. I'll start again so y'all can follow on. Not only is all of this, all of your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar wave of glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. Don't say it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you in the eternal way of glory. Therefore, do not. Do not lose heart because God is doing something. Romans 8, 28, he is making all things work together for your good. You may not see it. Most of the time we don't. But that doesn't mean God's not at work. He redeems our suffering. And so you and I can take heart what God does, number two. He's with us. He's with us. Look at verse 26. 
Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes. That means he, God's Spirit prays for us with groanings too deep for words. God, by his Spirit, is with us in our suffering. Not only is he with us, but he's interceding, he's praying for us. Take that in for a second. The Holy Spirit is with you, and he's praying for you. Which tells me this. We're not alone. He's with us in the middle of it. One of the worst voicemails I've ever gotten was about three years ago. Terry and I were on a trip. We had gotten away for like a week vacation in Seattle. And we had flown out of Seattle in the morning, um, like you're supposed to do on the phone. I had turned my phone, or on the plane, I had turned my phone off. And so I arrived in San Francisco. We were catching our connecting flight. And I turned my phone on as we got out into the, uh, the, the aisle of the airport. Terry's about 10 feet, but you know, you come out of the plane in single file. And so she's like still behind me. And I'm looking at my messages as they're dinging in. And I noticed, Kind of a, an unusual one from Seth. Seth's a good friend, but I don't hear from him a lot. And, and so I thought, I'm going to go ahead and listen to this one. And, and so I, I, I started listening to it, and, and here's what he said. Hey, Joe, just wanted to see how you and Terry were doing. Everything's fine. I'm headed over to the hospital now. I'll call you when I'm in there. <laughs> I wanted, to, I wanted to kill him. <laughs> I'm playing every scenario in my mind. Like, Seth would not call me if he were going to the hospital or his wife. Like, he would just take care of it. Like, he would just go be there. He would just call his parents or whatever. Like, he wouldn't call me for that. And then I started working, well, why wouldn't I be fine? I started thinking, something's wrong with one of my kids. Terry's with me. I know she's here. And then it occurred to me, this was the day my son and his new wife of one month ago were packing a U-Haul to move down to Atlanta, Georgia. And I just kept thinking, this can't be good. This And so I didn't mention anything to Terry at this point. I didn't want to freak her out. So we get to kind of this open area, and I go, you know, I get her settled, and I go and, and make the call. And what, what it transpired is Austin and Jesse were moving. Jesse's driving the U-Haul. They're towing, a, you know, they weren't towing the car. Austin's driving the car in front of the U-Haul. All their belongings are in the U-Haul. Austin's driving ahead. The tire blows out. The rear tire on the U-Haul blows out. She loses control on I-81, right around Lexington. Um, swerves, hits a bank, flips the truck. And as Austin's recounting this to me, he said, Dad, I'm watching it all in my rear view mirror. He said, I thought I was running back to my big wife. 
I'm a grown man ugly crying in the San Francisco airport. But just hearing his voice as I talked to Austin as he recounted it to me was a source of comfort, but, but an even greater source of comfort. He said, Dad, when we got to the hospital, Jessie's fine, by the way. She walked away with scratches. Unbelievable, right? What was an even greater source of comfort? Austin said, when I got to the hospital, the RUF pastor from Washington and Lee was there. Was at the hospital to meet them there. A pastor from a sister church was there within minutes. I ugly cried again. Just in relief and joy and comfort. That they weren't going to have to go through this trauma alone. The most well-known chapter in the Bible, Psalm 23, has this line in it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Satan will tell you he isn't there or that he doesn't care, and it's not true. The cross of Jesus is proof of just the opposite. Jesus died for you, and if he would do that, will he not be with you in whatever this broken world throws at you? So turn to him. Trust in him. He is with you. What does God do, or what God does, number three? He promises glory. He promises glory. I see that, or we get that from verses 29 and 30, where we see that for all who are in Christ, we will be conformed to the image of his Son. We'll be made like Jesus, and we will be glorified. You see that right at the end of verse 30. We will be glorified. So whatever it is you're going through, whatever suffering you will go through, the result of all of it is that you're going to be made more like Jesus and ultimately you're going to be glorified, made perfect. Notice also in verse 30 at the very end of that, the verb tense of glorified. Where my English name? Come on. Glorified. What is it? What tense? Past tense. Which is weird because any of you perfect? No. No. You have not yet been glorified. Why does Paul use the past tense? Because he's saying 
hearing Jesus, it's as good as done. If you've been called, if you've been justified, if you've been made right through the blood of Jesus, it's as good as done. Like counting in the past tense. Book it. Bank on it. It's as good as done. There's one other place Paul speaks of glory here. Go back to verse 18, the very first verse that we read. Paul tells us in that verse why all of this matters. Where he says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Here's what he's saying. Our sufferings pale. I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm not trying to, to say they're not real or that you don't feel them. I know you do. I do too. But Paul is saying our sufferings pale in comparison with the glory to come. And this isn't Paul using hyperbole. This isn't Paul being naive, man. He was a man familiar with suffering. If you know anything about the life of Paul, you know this. Here's a list of what Paul had gone through in his life. Most of us won't even go through one of them. He had been imprisoned. He had been beaten with rods. He was whipped five different times. The 39 lashes. You know why they did 39? 40 was supposed to kill him. They didn't want to like actually kill the person. They just wanted to bring him right to the door of death. And five different times he endured the 39 lashes. Once he was stoned, that doesn't mean what you think it means. He thought they threw stones at him. Three times he was shipwrecked. I know who I'm talking to. Three times he was shipwrecked. One of those times that he was shipwrecked, he was at sea for a night and a day. And eventually his life was taken from him through beheading because of his faith. Paul knew suffering. And this same Paul could say, I consider the sufferings of this age not worth comparing with the glory to come. And, and the idea is there in verse 22 where Paul says it's kind of like childbirth. I, I know a guy up here talking about childbirth, really I'm on thin ice, but Paul says it's like childbirth where he says we can endure the pain because there's indescribable joy on the other side. There's so much pain in this life, but we can endure because of the joy that lies on the other side. If you're in Christ, you have a glory yet to come. You will be made like Jesus, so hope in that glory because it far outweighs the sufferings of this life. Closing thought. In just a moment, we're going to sing these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. So when things are good, when sorrows like sea billows roll, when things aren't good, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well. It is well. The only reason, the 
only reason anyone can sing that is because of the words that come after that verse. I think it's the, the third stanza. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everything we've talked about up to this point is possible only through the cross of Jesus Christ. He redeems us, he's with us, and he promises glory only for those who trust in Christ. So the biggest, most crucial, most critical question I can ask you tonight, this semester, the rest of your life is this. Are you in Christ? Have you put your faith, your trust in Jesus to take away your sin and to bring you to himself? He suffered the pain of the cross to purchase all of this for us. That's why he came. So come. Come and put your trust in him and all will be well. Whatever this world brings, whatever suffering is in your way, it can be well. Father, thank you for the beauty and the glory of your word. Thank you that every bit of it is true. Thank you that you are a God who is with us. Thank you that you redeem and you use our suffering to make us more like Jesus. And thank you that we have the hope of glory. Thank you, too, that you are sovereign, that you are in control over sin and suffering and an evil and broken world. And one day you'll make all things right. And even, even now, you're making all things new. So start here. Start in this room, oh Lord Jesus. Would you make us new? Grant us eyes and hearts of faith. Grant us newness of life where we trust in you in new and deeper ways. But we long to be like you. We long to walk in the good times and those that are really, really hard. Make us a people like that. And may it be well with our souls. And we ask it in Jesus' name.